0: Our scripture reading today is the story of the wise men. It is found in the second chapter of Matthew, uh, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of God. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, "'Where is the child who's been born King of the Jews?' For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I can assure you my decision to open this service with We Three Kings and with the story of the Magi does not mean that I've decided to combat the heat of summer by celebrating Christmas. I chose this text and this hymn out of my sense that the Magi exemplify the second of five models by which, according to Richard Niebuhr, Christians have related to culture throughout history. This model today is entitled, The Christ of Culture. It stands in stark contrast to the model we considered last week, Christ against culture. And it moves us along the paths of the three more models we'll consider in upcoming Sundays, Christ above culture, Christ and culture in paradox, and Christ the transformer of culture. As Niebuhr develops and presents these models, he is very clear in saying that no one model exists anywhere in pure form. And that every Christian and every congregation exhibits characteristics of more than one model. But as we look at these this summer, I hope it leads us to understand the model that most exemplifies us, to learn what its strengths and weaknesses are, that we might know what God might be calling us to change about our own faith and even about our own congregation. So let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove. Come, kindle the flame of sacred love in these hearts and minds and wills of ours. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. The Magi are ancient astronomers. Like Hebrew sages and Greek philosophers, they belong to that segment of society to which people turn for wisdom concerning the ways of the gods in heaven or the ways of mortals on earth. The Magi are considered the most thoughtful, educated, and knowledgeable people of their day. They truly read and interpret the stars. In addition, the Magi are from the East. They are not from Judea or Galilee. They are not Jewish. They are Gentiles, Persians to be exact. They hail from another country, another land, another culture. Thus, not only do the Magi represent the wisest sectors of society being drawn to Christ, but they also represent the universality of the audience to which the gospel is addressed. In the Magi, the entire human race is drawn to and embraces Jesus Christ. When the Magi bring him gifts, the best and the brightest from all over the world join shepherds and angels, sheep and cattle to welcome the Messiah. All human culture makes its way to its source and origin In Christ. Of the five chapters in Niebuhr's book in which he presents these models, he reaches a lyrical eloquence in describing the Christ of culture model. In every culture to which the gospel comes, he writes, there are those who hail Jesus as the Messiah of their society the fulfiller of its hopes and aspirations, the perfecter of its true faith, the source of its holiest spirit. According to Niebuhr, Christ of culture, Christians see no great tension between church and world, between gospel and social customs, between divine grace and human effort. Between the ethics of salvation and the ethics of conservation. Or between the ethics of salvation and the ethics of social change. Along these lines, Christ of culture, Christians have hailed Jesus as the one who brings enlightenment. As the great teacher. As the one who directs all people in culture to wisdom, moral perfection, and peace.
1: Christ has been
0: depicted as the great utilitarian, the great idealist, the person of reason, the person of sentiment, the peacemaker, the warrior of a just cause. The Christ of culture position can be found among those who are drawn to Christ as a revolutionary and liberator on the one hand. And those who see him as a proponent of self-help, positive thinking, and even the prosperity gospel on the other hand. At its most theologically responsible, the essence of the Christ of culture position is that Jesus Christ represents what is best and most noble and most aspirational in human culture. The Christ of culture. Now, Niebuhr finds much to praise in the Christ of culture instinct. He acknowledges that Jesus Christ has much in common with the culture of his day. Christ sends his disciples to seek the lost sheep of his own culture, the house of Israel. Christ points positively to the temporal and provisional judgments that his followers have to make in culture. He takes issue with the political parties of his nation and time. He shows concern for the peace of his own city. He heals the sick in body, not just in spirit. He draws legitimate distinctions between fundamental principles and traditions of little worth. He praises some wise people in his day as being closer to the kingdom of God than some of his own followers. And he is not indifferent to the institution of the family, to order in the temple, to freedom for the oppressed, to fulfillment of duty on the part of the privileged. Christ and culture Christians can translate Christ for and into their own culture. They understand His gospel in their own language, His character by means of their own imag- imagery, and His revelation of God by the aid of their own philosophy. They recognize that many cultures are represented within the Bible and that no one culture has a unique claim on Jesus Christ. And they appreciate the truth that Jesus is the Savior, not simply of one culture, but of all cultures of the world. All of this, all of this that's positive about the Christ of culture model Rings true to my Presbyterian ears and to the many Christ of culture sensibilities that lie at the heart of my own faith, preaching, and teaching. But Niebuhr also surveys theological objections to the Christ of culture model. And one of these is the most significant. I would like to talk about it for a minute. That is a tendency within Christ of culture Christians to link Jesus Christ to one aspect of their culture or to one culture and in the process to distort who Christ is. It is far too easy for Christ of culture Christians, especially for preachers and teachers like me, to take one particular aspect of the life of Jesus Christ and to emphasize it to such a degree that that aspect appears to contain and exhaust all of who he is. In the process... Christ can easily become linked to a particular culture or a particular aspect of culture with no space in between. When I went to college at a state university in the South, I remained active in the local Presbyterian church in the community. I also developed a lifelong what became a lifelong friendship with my roommate who had deep roots in the Southern Baptist convention As you know, when you're in college, you often stay up till three or four in the morning solving all the problems of the world. We would sometimes stay up till three or four in the morning trying to solve all the problems of faith as well. Obviously, I have not succeeded on either account. But my roommate was troubled in those days by the increasing embrace of, theolo- of elements of the theological and political right that were beginning to take root among leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention. He and his then girlfriend, who is now his wife, loved the music of the Baptist church in which they were raised. And they sang in the choir of the church near the campus whose dynamic minister managed to attract about 1,000 students every Sunday who got out of their dorm rooms and out of their Greek houses and came to church on Sunday morning. I'm sure that was the experience of most people here in college. But this guy did it. It seems that in the worship service one morning, In support of the Vietnam War, in a time when support for the war was obviously being challenged on many college campuses, this dynamic, influential minister said in his sermon, Kill a commie for Christ. Now, I do not believe that my roommate was in worship that day. Though he was politically conservative and, as I recall, was supportive of the war in Vietnam, he simply could no longer accept the link that he continued to hear between faith in Christ and a hardened position on the war with no room for debate in between. Following college, my roommate went to medical school, and he has served for many years on the faculty of a medical school in a state university in the South. My understanding is that he's a nationally known uh, expert within the field of medicine he practices. He and his wife continue to sing in the choir of a large Southern Baptist church in the city in which they live. One of their young adult children Has taken to the church. Another has rejected it. A third is still searching. The one who is searching, in fact, attended Westminster this past Easter when he was in the area for a visit. My roommate has told me that decades ago he stopped listening to the preaching and teaching of the church. He and his wife are essentially essentially religiously homeless. Their homelessness comes in part because of too cozy a link between the Christ they know and one aspect of the culture in which they live. But they still Sing in the choir every Sunday. We love the music, they say. I had a similar experience on the opposite side of the political spectrum many years later. During the weeks following the invasion of Kuwait, When it was clear that the United States was planning a military action that would become Operation Desert Storm, in a rare moment for me of sitting in a pew and listening to a sermon in person, I heard a major leader of our denomination say, Watching President Bush and Saddam Hussein, I feel like a recess monitor trying to separate two schoolyard bullies, each with a club in his hand. If we could just separate them for a while, he said, I think we could get them to work out their differences. Now I was not then, and by no means now am I aware, of what it might take diplomatically to get two nations or two leaders of nations to work out their differences. But sitting in that pew, I felt that the minister's desire to avert war, no doubt shared by all of us in the chapel that day, led him to use an image, two bullies in a schoolyard, That portrayed a moral equivalence between the then first President Bush and Saddam Hussein. I felt that such moral equivalence misrepresented the situation by not taking into account sufficiently the evil that Saddam Hussein had perpetrated. I also felt that the image distorted. Christ, whose efforts at peace and as a peacemaker are real, but are not as prone to overlook the evil in the world that the moral equivalence behind the image that he used conveyed. It was one of the few times that I've actually sat in a pew and been angry by what I heard. While I did not become religiously homeless as a result, it added to a sense of isolation I felt then and sometimes feel now from preachers that I hear. It stemmed from what I experienced as too close a link between one aspect of Christ as peacemaker and one aspect of culture, the desire to avert military action. And that has stayed with me ever since. Continuing in this state of autobiography, I must say that as much as I am repelled by Christ of culture Christians who wrap the gospel in any number of flags of our culture. I am aware that my own deeply ingrained tendencies for studied neutrality, for appreciation of complexity and nuance, for seeing multiple sides of an issue, for seeking compromise and middle-of-the-road solutions, from recoiling from or resisting intensely expressed theological or political positions, that all of these come as much from the culture in which I was raised, the education I received, and the personality with which I was born, as they come from the Hebrew prophets, from John the Baptist, or from the Jesus who drives money changers out of the temple. The humane, once born, wisdom loving faith into which I have born, into which I was born, and which I have possessed and cultivated all of my adult life, is as much a product of the privileged and open culture in which I live in this country as it is a reflection of the Jesus Christ of the New Testament. I much prefer Christ. When he is the Christ of my culture, the Christ who reflects my values and my temperament. And I am often successful in linking him to values I possess that are in many ways independent of who he is. But what has saved me in my faith is the knowledge, again as a Presbyterian, That Jesus Christ is greater than any of the portraits we as human beings paint of him. No matter the culture from which we draw our canvas and brush, no matter the brightness or the softness of the hues in which we paint him. If we spend any amount of time with Christ, it soon becomes apparent, as, as Niebuhr says, that the supernatural Christ is also the Christ of flesh and blood. That the mystic Christ who is above the fray is also the teacher of morals for the way we are to live in the world. That the moral teacher of a wisdom that is shared by many cultures is also the Christ who casts out demons in the name of God. That the incarnate spirit of love is also a prophet of wrath. That the martyr of a good cause is also the risen Lord. When the Magi arrive at the birthplace of the infant Jesus, they bow down, they offer their gifts, and then they begin their journey back home. Matthew tells us, in the last words of this story, that they return home by another way. T.S. Eliot notices this detail, and in the voice of the Magi, he writes, We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease there. The Magi return home, to be sure, but they return home by another way. They are no longer fully comfortable in the culture from which they have come and to which they are now returning. They have been changed. Their wisdom has been transformed. So has their faith. Nebra concludes... It is not possible, it is not possible to confess that Jesus is the Christ of culture unless one can confess much more than this. The much more is our eternal task to uncover, to understand, to accept To claim for ourselves and to live out of its power as it transforms us from the culture which is near and dear to us into the image of Christ. Amen.